The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to hour number two of today's Monday edition of the Jeff Dean Show on this January the 3rd, 2022. Happy New Year. Hope you all had a safe and enjoyable uh, New Year weekend. Hopefully you all weren't a statistic. Like I, I warned you out there on Thursday, look, just you know, be smart. Don't be a statistic. And uh, enjoy the weekend. Get through it. Let's get 2022 together. So hopefully you all had a, a great weekend and are ready for the new year for 2022, making things better. And uh, better in yourself, better in those around you. And that's kind of what we can all hope for, I guess. Now, whether you're listening on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you've uh, decided to listen via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com, I absolutely appreciate you tuning in here to Tucson's only local morning sports talk show every single weekday from 7 to 9. Now, a little programming note, I will not be on the air tomorrow. Um, So we will have national ESPN programming tomorrow. I have got a about a billion things coming to a head as a deadline tomorrow, and I just need every absolute second I can take um, to take care of some of those things. <sighs> New Year's, same, you know, what do they say? SSDD, right? There you go. I think you know what I mean when I say that. We've got kids listening. Of course, the FCC, if the FCC is listening, I certainly can't say it. But, yeah, SSDD. So, New Year, same stuff going on um but we've we've got uh, one hour left in today's show still a lot to get into we talked nfl in hour number one we talk we talk nfl on the show every single day uh, you, you guys know that that is my that is my promise to you that we will talk nfl every single day here on the dean's list because the nfl is king and it is proven time and time again that the nfl is king football is king for that matter because looking at the the ratings from some of these college bowl games that people think are meaningless and that no one gives a rip about, uh, the ratings are through the roof right now for college bowl games. Like, they're outdoing the Bachelor, you know, finales and all that kind of stuff that people think are big news. Uh, yeah, just, you know, regular bowl game on a Thursday night is dominating that time slot. So, again, football continues to be king whether you want, whether you like it or not, whether you're willing to accept it or not. It's here and it's here to stay. And, of course, we will talk NFL here every day on the Jeff Dean Show. Now, though, it is a Monday. It is 8 a.m., which means it is time to introduce you to the Dean's List and the Dunce List, my heroes and zeros from the weekend that was. And we always begin with the Dean's List, which is where I'll begin. I, tr- I believe I, I, I like opening the segment on positive notes, so we'll talk about positive notes first. Uh, number one on the Dean's List, the Rose Bowl. Wow. I mean, Wow. What a game that was played at Pasadena in their their premium time slot, which some people out there are like, well, the Rose Bowl is screwing everything up because they, you know, don't want to be part of the, uh, of the of the playoff and they want to have their own thing and they want to have their own time slot and this and that. Look, the Rose Bowl is the Rose Bowl for a reason. It is the most hallowed grounds in college football postseason. It has been that way for a long time. And I'm just thankful that the Pac-12 gets to be a part of it. And Utah playing in that game for the first time did the Pac-12 proud in their matchup against Ohio State. They didn't end up winning that football game, even though they were dominant for a large part of it. 
until Cameron Rising, of course, their uh, bright young quarterback, got knocked out of that game. That changed things a little bit. And uh, defensively, they just couldn't keep up with the speed of Ohio State, regardless if Ohio State's top two wide receivers who are going to be first-round picks in the NFL draft didn't even play in the game. Didn't matter. They, they've got just speed upon speed upon speed, and Ohio State is really tough to deal with, um, especially when C.J. Stroud looks as good as he did. And if you're if you're filling out your your Heisman hopeful uh, list for next year, just go ahead and put C.J. Stroud number one, and then we'll see we'll see what happens because you know he had a very good shot at winning it this year if Bryce Young hadn't had uh, the remarkable year that he had. Um, but I believe that that C.J. Stroud has got a Heisman Trophy in his very near future, and uh, that was evident uh, in, in the game over the weekend at the Rose Bowl. He was just, man, he was on point. There was that time, that back and forth, where the two teams had traded four touchdowns in a minute and five seconds. Britton Covey returns the kick for the touchdown, and then Ohio State comes back and throws one pass and scores a touchdown. I mean, it was it was just a remarkable game, one of the most fun, most exciting games that I've seen in the last two years of college football, and one of the best Rose Bowls I've seen in a long time. That was a great one. That one was a lot of fun. And even though the Pac-12 finishes the bowl season 0-6, and, and yes, I do count uh, UCLA's bowing out at five hours before the holiday bowl a loss because um that is a uh, there's no there's no excuse for that That, that's just that's ridiculous they deserve to to get the l for that game uh oh and six so i have oh the pac-12 oh and six this year i am not disappointed in the least in the way utah played against ohio state who and and look let's be honest here folks if ohio state had been playing in one of those two uh, college, one of the two CFP semifinals, they would have been a shorter odds to win that game than either Cincinnati or Michigan. Like, if Ohio State had played Georgia, it'd probably be you know Georgia would probably be favored by six and a half, five and a half, six and a half. And if they would played Bama, they'd probably Bama would probably be favored by nine and a half or ten and a half. Like they would have been shorter odds. Like it, Notre Dame wouldn't have gotten those odds. No other team, Baylor wouldn't have gotten those odds. Ohio State gets the respect because they have that explosive ability. Um, and, it, look, that's a, it's a really, really, really good football program. And they got boat raced by Michigan in that game. They just got beat up in that game. They weren't allowed to use their speed. Michigan did a great job of controlling that game. But Ohio State's a fantastic program, and we saw what their speed looks like. And I'll tell you what, those of you who were out there who were, were poo-pooing what Jed Fish said earlier in this season when he said that he aspires this program to be like Utah's program, if you still don't think that that's a, a lofty goal and, a, a first of all, one that's attainable, second of all, one that would do this city a whole hell of a lot of pride, then you, uh, you, don't, know, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about, period. That is a fantastic football program and they put together one hell of an effort in the Rose Bowl coming up just short. Number two on the Dean's list, the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. Now, granted, nobody got a chance to see the damn thing because it was on at 11 o'clock in the morning. Attendance was 49. They announced 49,000. Listen, I know that stadium extremely well. Eh, There couldn't have been more than 42,000 people, 40,000, 42,000 in that stadium. That thing was just barely half full. Uh, and the TV ratings, from from what I gathered, 
were down from last year. Now, last year's was a CFP semifinal, so I, I get it. Okay, it's it's not uh, it's not apples and oranges here, but still, they didn't do themselves a whole lot of favors with that time slot. Regardless, though, what a game because many had dismissed that matchup because of how those two teams played. Whether it was you know Notre Dame and their you know their their slowdown you know type of pace and you know Jack Cohen not really you know one of the guys that that lights up the scoreboard and you know, and, and you know, not a not a not a big, uh, explosive, you know, fancy type of offense. And then, of course, you got Oklahoma State, where normally you would expect a lot out of Oklahoma State. They a team that usually puts up 500 yards of total offense and has over the entire tenure of Mike Gundy's time as the head coach there. But this year, they were a team that featured defense. They were one of the best, one of the best defensive teams in the country. However, those two teams basically shrugged off their regular seasons and said. Nah, we're going to give these guys a show, and what a show they did. Jack Cohen, the young quarterback at Notre Dame, transfer, of course, from, uh, from Wisconsin, 38 of 68. He missed 30 passes in that game. Still threw for 509 yards and five touchdowns. And Spencer Sanders, on the other side for Oklahoma State, who was a quarterback that we were just like, eh, he's very much average and maybe the worst quarterback that Mike Gundy has ever had at Oklahoma State. All he did was go 34 of 51, 371 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. He also ran for 125 yards in that game. He had 506 yards of total offense, which is exactly the same amount that Jack Cohen had because he had negative yards rushing. What a game. And Notre Dame is up early. It's 28-7, 28-14 at the half. And then Oklahoma State just comes out firing in the second half. They're like, screw it. We're just gonna we're gonna go crazy. And crazy they did. Because they came all the way back to win that game 37-35 in one of the most thrilling comebacks and one of the best fiesta bowl games that I've seen in quite some time. Uh they really pulled it off. Um one of the best games that, that nobody saw, unfortunately, because as I mentioned, T V ratings were bad, uh the attendance was bad. And, unfortunately, they missed a great football game. Number three on the Dean's list for my heroes from the weekend, Jamar Chase. I, you know, you, you watched him at LSU two years ago when they won the national championship. He sat out the 2020 season, rightfully so. I, got, I, I take no issue with that, and we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Uh, but he was absolutely uncoverable yesterday against the Chiefs. Uncoverable, period. Like, they tried bracket coverage. They tried zone. They tried single man. They tried zero. They could not cover him at all. He had 11 catches, 266 yards, three touchdowns. He averaged 24.2 yards per catch. He converted a third and 27 in that game. And watching, not, not only watching the game, because I had three TVs going. I had the Cardinals, and I had, uh, I had uh, the red zone, and then I also had that, that Chiefs-Mangles game going because it was, it was fun to watch, right? Turned that one on. I was like, let's go with this one here. Um, he, he made it look easy. Like, he was just out there just like seven on sevens or like he was in practice, just running his routes, having a good old time out there. It was way too easy for Jamar Chase to set those records, and he did set new rookie records yesterday. Most, uh, most yards receiving in a game 
for a rookie. He broke a, a, a record that stood for a long time, 255 yards from back in 1979. I don't even know, know the name of the guy who did it. It was some, some no-name dude against the Buffalo Bills. And then he broke Justin Jefferson's less-than-one-year-old rookie record for yards in a season. Jamar Chase now with 1,426 yards in his rookie season, uh, or 1,429, rather, sorry. And uh, it breaks Justin Jefferson's record of 1,400. So he didn't need that extra 17th game to break the record. So it's a legit breaking of the rookie record for a, uh, for a rookie season. So congratulations to Jamar Chase. Congratulations to the Cincinnati Bengals and their fans. He is remarkable. And I know that he's had a lot of drops. In fact, I talked about it last week. His drop rate has gone up as the season has gone on. Uh, his drop rate is, is amongst the highest of players of his echelon, let's say, in the NFL. But, I mean, when, when you put him in one-on-one coverage, he's uncoverable. It, they, they had no answer for him yesterday. And I'll, be, I'll say this also. I thought the, the decision to go zero coverage, uh, zero blitz essentially on that third and 27, was a, that, was a, that was a stupid mistake by the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they rushed eight and, and basically went man coverage, and <laughs> it, was, it didn't turn out well for them. Jamar Chase just ate them alive. So Jamar Chase, number three on the Dean's list. Now we move to the Dunce list. Now, the Dunce list, a feature of the zeros from the weekend it was, things that were disappointing or people who made stupid decisions, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit here, folks, and I'm not going to pick that fruit. I'm not going to go with Antonio Brown. I'm not going to go with some of the other things that happened that were over the weekend that people are discussing today. Um, But I'm going to start with Zach Taylor because as I'm watching that Bengals-Chiefs game yesterday, pardon me, as I'm watching the game yesterday, the, the Bengals have the ball. It's 31-31. They're driving. They get down to the field. They, they get down to first and goal. Okay, they're inside the five now. They're moving. Joe Burrow's a little bit banged up. Um, and now it's, it's third and goal. They, they run a play. Uh, I can't remember. I think they ran the ball with Joe Mixon. They ran the ball with Mixon at that point. He doesn't get in. He's down inside the one-yard line or whatever. It's fourth and goal. And now there's like 59 seconds left on the clock or whatever it is I think it was. So Zach Taylor says, now we're, we're going to run a play. And I'm thinking to myself, well, is, is your kicker hurt or something? Like this is a 19-yard field goal attempt to potentially win the football game. Now, granted, it would give Patrick Mahomes the ball back with about 56 seconds, 55 seconds left on the clock, which is not great. But do you not have enough faith in your defense to hold up for less than one minute against a team that has no timeouts in those types of, you know, it's cold and stuff like that? But I guess not. So he decides to run a play, throws the football, and ball's incomplete on a fourth and goal. So I'm like, oh, so now they just turned the ball over to Mahomes at the one. Well, no, there was offsetting penalties. Okay. So he's bailed out. Got bailed out on that one because of the offsetting penalties. They replay the down. So now I'm like, okay, now he's going to kick the field goal. You don't flirt with disaster twice. He goes for it again and again, throws the football. Throws the ball into the end zone. That ball's deflected. However, illegal hands to the face. Oh, no. Another penalty, which gives the Bengals a first down. Because, you know, whatever. First and goal, automatic first down in that situation. So now it's like, oh, okay, well, now you got plenty of plays to try to get in or whatever you're going to do. But then they just run the clock out and kick the ball anyways. I, I, I just, oh, man, I, I just don't understand the, the, the thought process there. 
here's this is basically what the decision came down to. If you're looking at if you're looking at it from from this way, from the outside looking in at Zach Taylor's decision, he decided that it would be better to go and give the ball to Patrick Mahomes with ten minutes on the clock in a potential do or die situation in a in a you know. Uh, you know, a potential you know, sudden death situation in overtime, even though the first possession wouldn't be, but regardless. Would rather do that than have the lead and force Patrick Mahomes to drive them down the field with no timeouts and under 60 seconds left on the clock. That was the, the decision that he made. I do not understand this decision. I, I, I thought I was watching the game. I'm just like, am I, am I missing something here? Why are we not kicking the football? But he didn't, and it turned out roses for him. But, geez, I don't know if I would ever do that again if I were him. That was not a great decision. Number two on the dunce list was the this-is-why-players-opt-out-of-bowl-games narrative immediately taking storm after the Matt Corral injury in the Sugar Bowl. Matt Corral, of course, you know, incredible quarterback for, uh, for Ole Miss, who made it a very, very public option to play for his team in that Sugar Bowl instead of opting out like many of the players in college football had. But the immediate reaction from fans and media is like, this is why players opt out of bowl games. Oh, my God. I I saw it coming from a mile away. I'm like, this kid's going to get hurt. You know, he's taken taken off the field. He's going to go in for x-rays. And here come all the people like, I told you, I told you. Look, that is not the reason why people opt out. And I mean, it is in certain ways, in certain situations, it is. Okay, and and look, this is this is a discussion that I won't get into right now because I've got other things I want to do, and it's a lengthy discussion. And to be honest, I'd rather have the discussion with someone else who covers the game of college football. So I'll bring on a guest and I'll have this discussion, and we'll do it this week about why and when and if it's good for the game of college football that players are opting out now this is not a this this was not an epidemic this year there were less than 20 players who opted out of their bowl games it really wasn't that big a deal but everyone was out there this is why players opt out of football games instead of giving credit to the young man for playing and by the way his ankle injury was just minor it wasn't wasn't bad enough. He's not going to need surgery. He's going to be available for the combine in February. It's not going to ruin his draft status. He's going to be fine. So no harm, no foul. And again, it's not that's not just a hindsight twenty twenty kind of thing for me. Uh, I just the narrative you can see it coming from a mile away, and I'm so sick of that narrative. Look, players, and I, I'm not. And I, listen, I made it very clear on Thursday. I am not of the opinion that players shouldn't opt out. I think it's. I think it's first of all, it's up to them. They're adults, and they can make those decisions what they want. But to to pass up playing at a bowl game, you've already given your time to that school. You got them to that point, and you've got a potential life altering contract coming up, life altering money coming up for you in your very very near future, and you don't want to flirt with that. Fine, I have zero problem with that. I have said it over and over again. I have zero problem with that. But don't be that person who was like, "See, told you, guy got hurt." This is why they do it. Don't be that person. And finally, on the dunce list, me and everyone else who thought that Cincinnati and Michigan had a prayer in those CFP semifinals 
against the juggernauts that are the SEC. What a fool. What an absolute fool I am for thinking that those two teams belong to be on the same field as those two programs. It wasn't even close. Neither of those games were close, and don't let the score fool you. Do not let that Alabama-Cincinnati 11 points going into the fourth quarter fool you. That game was over in the first five minutes when I realized that Cincinnati had no business being on the same field as Alabama. Zero. And the, the Georgia game took even less. Much to my surprise, I thought Michigan had the, had the stones. I thought they had the dudes to do it. They certainly pushed around everybody else they played this year. Whew. That was, that was utter and complete domination by the top two schools in the SEC. And we will absolutely talk about that coming out of the break here. When we return, I will uh, take a look at the CFP semifinals as it once again yielded boring, highly disappointing football. And whether or not college football should forego the expansion and just go back to the way it was. We'll talk about that next here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. On this Monday, January the 3rd, 2022, the first Monday of the 2022 year. Hopefully your weekend was a good one. You've had an enjoyable first three days of this new year. And uh, for many NFL teams out there, it was a very happy new year. And for two very specific college football programs and their fan bases, it was also a very happy new year as Alabama and Georgia show the world why they are the most dominant programs in the country why the SEC continues to dominate the landscape of college football, and why we really have no hope of uh, sending anyone else to the college football championship outside of the occasional Clemson or the occasional Ohio State as they flex their muscles and just absolutely destroyed the their two adversaries in the college football playoff semifinal once again. A boring Highly disappointing set of semifinal games as Alabama toyed with Cincinnati before putting them to sleep in the fourth quarter. Georgia came out and left no doubt within the first five minutes of that football game who was going to win. They were, look, that was a matchup between two teams who people considered the two best teams in the trenches this year. It wasn't even, like, it, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't a contest. <laughs> it, it, I, I was watching the game. I'm just like, I, I can't, I can't believe just how one-sided it is. There's just a pile of five-star recruits in wearing red and black, just like a swarm, just pushing around, mulling over. It, it didn't even matter. Just get out of the way. They, it, like they just dismissed them like they weren't even there. It was a. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's a lot of words to use. I think it's ridiculous that it's that one-sided that we can't get teams to compete against these these programs in the SEC. Um, and look, semifinals have been have been a, a huge disappointment throughout the years. Ever since the college football playoff was 
was determined. Look, there have been 16 college football playoff semifinal games, 16 of them. 12 of them have been decided by 17 or more points. They've all been blowouts. Like, all of them. I don't. I, it's it's hard to remember, you know, games that were close. I mean, you had the the great shootout with uh, was it uh, Oklahoma and uh, Ohio State a couple of years ago. Look, you've had some you've had some real barn burners, but for the most part, snooze fests, absolute blowouts. Twelve of the sixteen have been determined by seventeen or more points. I I mean, it's it's unwatchable. Like, like the the football that was being played on Saturday night was unwatchable, or well, Friday night, sorry, Friday night, unwatchable. I, I literally turned, I turned the second game off at halftime. I was like, I don't need to watch this anymore. It was, it was 20, 24 to 3 at halftime. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm done. I don't need to watch this anymore. I already know who's, I knew who was going to win the first five minutes of the game. When Michigan couldn't move the football and couldn't stop Georgia from running the football. Like, it just, there was, it was no contest. So it got me thinking, <laughs> maybe the BCS was right. Maybe the BCS was the the proper way to crown a champion. You know, I, I and, and I, look, I wasn't on the air here in Tucson. I've been doing this for a long time, but I wasn't on the air here in Tucson, so you guys don't know this. I was a huge proponent of the BCS. Yes, I, I was still not a fan of the way that they were crowning the championship, um, because there were there were plenty of times, obviously there were, you know, there were plenty of seasons where the BCS, I don't want to say didn't get it right, but there was a lot of room for discussion for teams that were left out of the BCS, right? Teams that didn't score high enough on the metrics. Now that's all we believe in, right? I mean, analytics and metrics have become how we establish teams how how we look at how uh, you know effective a team is it's how coaches determine whether or not they're going to try to win the football game or try to play it safe it's all metrics and analytics now that this is how we determine things it's just the bcs was doing it first bcs was doing it right from the beginning i was never a huge fan of the college football playoff i felt that getting a final four without a tournament was going to be a problem because they didn't have, they didn't have a real good reason. You know, I should say reason. They didn't have a real good process for determining who those four teams are. Oh yeah, well look at the you know look at the AP poll and in the college coaches poll. Okay, neither of those matter. We we've known that for a long time. We know that. I mean, the AP was dismissed by the by the BCS. It was like we're not even going to account the BCS, account the AP poll. We don't we don't care what the AP says because. These are sports writers who don't know the difference between Arizona and Arizona State. Remember when Arizona was getting votes in the AP poll earlier this year? <laughs> Arizona was getting votes, and it was like, oh, yeah, I, I meant Arizona State. I put Arizona. Because they don't know. They don't know the difference. So, yeah, the AP doesn't matter. BCS was like, we don't need the, we don't need the AP. But the, the CFP with this committee, you look at the people in that committee room, do they know the difference between Arizona and Arizona State? How 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 different are they from from the AP voters? Yes, there are former coaches in there. There are other people who consider themselves to be highly intellectual college football stewards. But are they really? I mean, how how good has the playoff been in our time here? Yes, 
we have gotten the two best teams in the country to play one another for the championship. We have seen that every single year. Have we not? Have we not seen during the, during the tenure of the CFP, have we not seen every single year the top two teams playing one another for the championship? I think we have. Did, did we have a problem with that when the BCS was in play? I mean, I, I, there were times where, you know, Auburn didn't get in even though they, you know, they had won the SEC and all this other stuff. Yeah, those are, those are problems, okay? But I think for the most part, when the BCS put those top two teams together, we got a great game, we got a champion, and I don't think a whole lot of people were, were complaining about that wasn't the two best teams in the country this year. Wasn't a whole lot of people. I mean, there were a few here and there, a few people crying about, you know, whether it's Boise or UCF or Auburn or whoever got, you know, left out, whoever got snubbed because they're, you know, maybe their strength of schedule wasn't good enough or whatever. But I think for the most part, BCS, I would say at a rate of about 95%, was accurate in getting the best two teams available. So instead of, instead of having – Bowl games that truly matter, and I mean when people were extremely passionate about the other bowl games plus the BCS, we've gotten the state of college football that we're in right now where the Fiesta Bowl featuring Notre Dame. Notre Dame was in the Fiesta Bowl. They couldn't pay people to watch that thing. They couldn't get fans to go to the football game in Glendale. Beautiful weather. They couldn't get people to travel from – from you know, from the Midwest, or I mean, there's Notre Dame fans everywhere. They couldn't get fans to travel to the game. Forty thousand people in that stadium for the Fiesta Bowl. Place was empty. This is what we've gotten. This is what the CFP has brought us: empty stadiums and an even stronger, louder narrative from those out there who say that college football bowl games don't matter anymore. Is that what we wanted? Is that what we want? Do we want to? I mean, for this to be you know, the end-all, be-all of college football playoffs, we would essentially need to get rid of all the other bowl games, right? Because we don't want games that don't matter. So we'd get rid of all the bowl games. And we would just have the playoff. Does anybody want that? Nobody wants that. But that's the only way this looks good. That's the only way the CFP works. Because right now, it ain't working. Like, that was garbage. Friday night was hot garbage. And don't tell me that it hasn't been that way before. Because I will point you to certain years where it certainly has been. How about, like, um, let's see, 2015 Michigan State. Oh, you don't remember that? Yeah, they got beat by 30. How about when Washington, the power of the Pac-12 that year in 2016, went to go play Alabama and couldn't pass the 50-yard line? They got blown out. Did those teams not belong? Well, sure they did. They proved themselves throughout the season to get themselves in the playoff. And according to the committee, they were the third and fourth best teams in the country that lost by four touchdowns. I'm not here for that. I want to see competitive football being played. I want to see teams that matter and players that care playing in football games. That's what I want to see. And right now, we ain't getting that. And we're going to get a college football championship game that – 80% 80% of the country does not give two flips about. I don't know what you're doing on January 10th. I probably won't be watching the game. I mean, I'll have it on in the background, but I'll be doing other things because I don't care. I no longer care. I saw this game a month ago. 
Alabama destroyed Georgia. Saw it. Been there. Don't care to watch a sequel, and I don't want a T-shirt. The BCS got it right, folks. Let's. It, it's time to start realizing that. that the BCS was the right way to crown a champion. Because if we're not going to have a 12-team playoff, then the BCS is the right way to do it. And to be honest with you, do you want to see a 12-team playoff after what we've seen year after year after year of teams going up against the SEC in the Final Four? I don't. Because we know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's already written in the stars. Five stars, to be exact. And all of them that are lining up that sideline for the likes of Georgia, Alabama, the occasional Ohio State, the occasional Clemson, and that's about it. All right, when we return, it's time to talk some basketball because the Wildcats are in action again tonight. Can't wait to be down there at the McHale Center, see those fans, feel that energy, and watch them stomp some some mud holes and some, some Husky basketball players. So we'll talk about that next coming up right here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to a Monday edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Glad to be with you here. Uh, Once again, I will not be on the air tomorrow. We'll have... uh, National programming for you, but then I'll be back on Wednesday for the uh, for the remainder of the week, and uh, just need a little extra time to take care of some things here, unfortunately, and uh, just need every possible second I can squeeze out of a day <laughs> to get that taken care of. Because tonight, which I wasn't planning on doing, I have to be at the McHale Center because the Wildcats are in action as the uh, the Washington Huskies come to town. It should have been a game that was played. Uh, you know, over a month ago. It was supposed to be on December 2nd at the McHale Center, but then that game got pushed January 25th, and then now brought back to January 3rd, and here we are for a 6 o'clock tip against the, the Huskies. Now, it, it's Washington has been playing a whole lot of games because of uh, COVID protocols in their own program, and then in other games that they were supposed to play, uh, they, you know, they, they haven't been able to play. In fact, they've only played twice since uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> they beat Seattle. Uh, barely in a, a home game, and then got crushed by Utah Valley, and that was the game that I was kind of looking at. I, I, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of that game. I saw some pieces of it, uh, but what I saw was not good. Like it was basically just Terrell Brown and nobody else. And the big problem with this particular iteration of the Mike Hopkins Washington Huskies team is their just lack of effort. Like they just they don't give any effort um and they've got some players that we are familiar with at arizona right i mean they've got some they've got a, it's it's largely made up of pac-12 transfers terrell brown who of course played for the wildcats last year is their lead guard dejon davis who played at stanford previously whom we're familiar with dejon has had some good games against the wildcats actually um and i remember you know sean sean miller and, and you know his staff really kind of heavily scouting dejon davis to try to eliminate him from Stanford's offense over the uh, over the times that they played. Jamal Bay, who was a transfer from Colorado, which we're familiar with. So, you know, they got three starters who we're very familiar with here at uh, at Arizona and here in the Pac-12, and they're just they're just not they're not playing well. Um they they 
They don't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, they don't rebound particularly well. They don't defend particularly well, even though it's a Mike Hopkins team that is obviously predicated on that Syracuse zone. First of all, it's difficult for players to pick up in their first seasons. It just it just takes time to develop that efficiency on the on the defensive side. Understand where your man is, uh, you know where your teammates are, and to communicate well enough to be able to play in that type of defense. It's just not easy to pick up. It's a very complex, uh, difficult defense. And look, they'll play it. I mean, they'll that's that's what they do. They they you know they run their stuff, and they're going to play that defense against Arizona. And Arizona will have to find ways to beat that defense, whether it's shooting over the top of it, which I believe Arizona is fully capable of doing, or knifing through it, which I also believe they're capable of doing. Also, with the dominant presence that they have down low between Christian Coloco, Umar Balo, and Azulis Tabellas, they should be able to hammer home quite a few points in the paint tonight against Washington and that zone defense. Washington's not a, an incredibly large team. Um, I think their starting center, it's uh, uh, Nate Roberts, He's like 6'9", 6'10", so Arizona will again have the size advantage, as they will. Honestly, they'll have size advantage over the most of the teams they play this year. They're one of the tallest teams in the entire country is Arizona. Um, so, you know, Washington is going to put up, uh, you know, a, a test. I mean, they've, look, they've given Arizona some issues over the, over the last few years. Um, you know, there's been some really hard-fought games, but very rarely did they win those games. Um I think just kind of going back, just off of memory, I think Arizona's won four of the last five that they've played against Washington. There was, uh, you know, the game last year, of course, where uh, Azulis Tabellas hits the the game winner with like five seconds left on the clock. Um, There was, you know, there was some interesting moments in in this series. And, you know, of course, Washington, uh, you know, cashing their ticket into the – well, not cashing their ticket. Everybody gets into the Pac-12 tournament. But before COVID canceled the Pac-12 tournament, there was going to be that rematch between Arizona and Washington in the first round when Arizona was having a down year that year. So look, there have been some some good matchups between these two teams over the years, and certainly there's a good history between these two programs, right? Some of the big games that have been played in the in the history of these two programs against one another, some, some really memorable plays. I'm looking at you, Derek Williams. And – you know, just some some great moments, but I don't think we're going to get any of that tonight. Um, the most important thing for Arizona tonight is to come up after a layoff, after the long layoff that they've had, after the loss. You know, I mean, that's that's got to be weighing heavily on them. The way that they lost that game to Tennessee, they come out, they just get boat raced in the first six minutes of that game, down early, struggling to control the basketball the surge that the that the Tennessee Volunteers had to start that game was was monumental, but Arizona was able to come back, tie that game at 62, tie that game at 65. But then foul trouble got in the way. They lost a couple of their starters to foul trouble, and Tennessee ends up pulling away and winning that basketball game by four. So Arizona's been dealing with this loss for quite some time. Thankfully, they've been distracted. They got to go be with their families. At least some of them did. Got to be with their families. Got to be with their friends over the holidays and have now come back and begun to practice and things like that and got back with their teammates. So that's going to be the biggest thing for Arizona is just kind of shaking off the rust, shaking off that holiday, uh, the holiday dust, and getting that loss out of their heads. It's their first loss of the season, and you know they've got to get out of their own minds, essentially, if they want to, uh, if they want to perform well tonight. I think they will. I think the spread has gone up to like 25. <laughs> it's starting to balloon now. Um, so I don't know if – Something happened with the Washington program or what, but uh, nonetheless, that that number is starting to balloon, 
and you know Arizona is fully capable of of beating a team like Washington by that type of a score. Uh, but regardless, come on down to the McHale Center tonight. They do have tickets available. You can still sit in the Zona Zoo. There's uh, there's tickets available for that. You can go to ArizonaWildcats.com to uh, to get that because otherwise you won't be able to see it uh, unless you you know have Pac-12 Network, which not a lot of many people do. I'm sure you've probably heard of FanDuel Sportsbook by now and uh, how they're making every moment more this season. And if you haven't, well, this is your opportunity to score big because FanDuel Sportsbook is not only an official sports betting partner of the NFL, which means you can place all of your bets on a trustworthy app that's trusted by the NFL, but FanDuel Sportsbook is also celebrating the NBA's 75th anniversary season. You can too. Right now, customers can place their first risk-free bet. And if you don't win, we'll get you up to $1,000 back. Okay, now you've got to use my promo code, which is Dean, my last name, to get you that promo. But nonetheless, a risk-free bet, one time up to $1,000, you can't lose, literally, you can't lose. If you've been thinking about joining, here's even more reasons why I choose FanDuel. First of all, it is easy to use. It's easy to register. The app is easy to use. You talk to anybody who uses all the different sports betting apps, they will tell you across the board that FanDuel Sportsbook is the easiest app to use. Uh, They accept Venmo, which is great. They give you plenty of different options for depositing and for withdrawing. And the fast withdrawals, which I mentioned, less than two hours. I mean, you get paid out lightning fast. And I love, I'll be honest with you, I love betting the NBA on FanDuel. I have a ton of fun. That's that's the most fun I've had on the FanDuel Sportsbook app is betting NBA games. I made a lot of money, honestly. I've done really well betting NBA games. A lot of player props, fun player props. You can mix and match together to make it your own. Play your gut. Play your favorite players, play your favorite teams, play matchups you like, whatever you want. FanDuel's got it for you. There's no better place to bet the NBA or the NFL than on FanDuel. And if you already have a sportsbook, a FanDuel Sportsbook account, great. They're hooking all customers up with $50 when you refer a friend. Plus the $50 refer a friend program may also get you into the drawing for those Super Bowl tickets. So see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Sign up using my promo code DEAN to get your first risk-free bet up to $1,000. 21 or over in President Arizona. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site credit. Expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms of sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342. The final segment of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. Final segment today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Uh, as I previously mentioned, I will not be on the air tomorrow morning. We'll go with uh, national uh, ESPN programming for you, but then I will be back on Wednesday to uh, to finish out the rest of the week. So I will not be on the air tomorrow, unfortunately, to break down a hopeful uh, Wildcat victory and uh, to move to 2-0 and on the season in the Pac-12 as they uh, uh, dis- dis- dispatch of the Washington Huskies, hopefully tonight at the McHale Center. But uh, we'll be talking about it on Wednesday. I'll come back, and I'll make some notes of it. Um, also, the Phoenix Suns going to be in action tomorrow night. That game can be heard right here on ESPN Tucson. That game tips at 6 p.m. as they take on the New Orleans Pelicans. So uh, uh, the, some, some Suns basketball, of course, always good. The team is, uh, you know, obviously one of the best teams in the NBA and continue to impress. They had a pretty, pretty impressive victory on uh, uh, last night as they beat the, uh, the Charlotte Hornets. 133-99, to that game was a blowout from the get-go. 
Um, so the Suns continue rolling. Of course, you can hear all the action right here. Your Tucson home for the Phoenix Suns, ESPN Tucson. Um, we'll also have Tyler Drake on Wednesday at 7.30, as we always do, to talk Cardinals. A little bit more of an upbeat uh, segment this, uh, this week because the Cardinals obviously coming off their big win in Dallas. And the NFL playoff picture continues to get a little bit clearer. The NFC is certainly a lot clearer than the AFC. But I'll tell you what, that Niners-Rams game coming up, that is one of the two or three biggest games in the NFL this year and certainly the biggest game in the NFC this upcoming weekend. That is going to determine a lot heading into the NFC playoffs after Week 18. Still, It's still weird to say Week 18. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to wrap things up for a fast and furious Monday here on the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks, of course, to Mary back in the studio for handling all the important stuff, keeping us on the air. And, of course, thanks to you guys for tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show every weekday from 7 to 9 a.m. Stay tuned for Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6 as they broadcast live from the famous Sam's. And I will see you guys on Wednesday right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.